in, in, in terms of the human relationships, the juxtaposition of one person to another, the form and the content. All right, why don't you knock off the bullshit and get to the point? Hey, kids, it's time for Pizza and Pop Culture with our Rogues Gallery of Talent. Coming at you on location from Eastside Pizza in Wallingford, Connecticut. Now serving up Geek Pizza with extra cheese. You are in the Psycho Circus. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is, uh, I don't know, what number are we on now? 11. 11. Wow. Double digits, Time man. flies, man. <laughs> Time does fly. Welcome back to Pizza and Pop Culture. I will be your host for the evening, Mr. Shitty Chicken, Keith Larson. To my immediate left is Mr. Peter Bradley. Hello. To his left would be Mr. Edson Gomes. Hola. And to Edson's left would be Mr. Angelo Alexopoulos. Hello, everybody. Proprietor-in-chief. And thank you, Angelo, for this wonderful giant room we're using here. Namaste. For our phase one yes. uh, reopening. Uh, just a quick call out. Remember, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and now with our new Instagram manager, Jude Breidenbach, also mixing our show today. Uh, we're on Instagram. Everything is pizza pop culture, at pizza pop culture. And our website is pizzapopculture.com. So please, please get your friends, family, enemies, uh, anybody else you can think of um, to subscribe to our show and get our numbers up. That would be most awesomeonious. We would really appreciate it. We would really appreciate it. So guys, um, I got some stuff here, and uh, we'll have you guys contribute whatever you brought to the table here. Um, uh, Where to begin? Edson. <laughs> uh, seems like we had a little incident the other day with Dynamite Comics um, that is not um, not good news. There's a little thing around going around called Comics Gate, I guess it's being labeled as Comics Gate. And the idea behind this Comics Gate, uh, if you will, this scandalous thing, is that if a company, say Dynamite Comics in this case, doesn't want to alter their titles or their stories based on political correctness and diversity. They want to retain the integrity of story and character rather than check a box. And that's what they choose to do. Well, there's a a little whisper network apparently that's been set up inside the comic industry where they're slowly eating their own. Um, It's this (sighs) mean girls type of Marxist comics code run by Gail Simone, Kelly Sue DeConnick, Tess Fowler, and Mags Visaggio amongst others. And what they're doing now is they're, um, they threatened Dynamite the other night. Uh, they got some top talent to threaten a walkout if Dynamite didn't change all their titles to what these people want. Yep. Um, Nick Barucci apparently didn't want to uh, at first, but quickly caved and bent a knee and took down a uh, support for an Indiegogo for one of his artists, Cecil who's drawing a variant cover for Vampirilla. Okay. And I looked at the cover, and I'm like, okay, this looks like any comic book cover you've seen for the yep. last 60 years. What's the problem Nothing here? unusual about it. Right. Um, so now Nick's put himself in a bad spot because he, he bent the knee to cater to this small group of talent and threw his customer base completely under the bus. Now his customers are just enraged. And now it's boycott dynamite time. And, and I don't get it. It's, I mean, it's coming from the people who are doing this are people in the industry who need jobs as writers and artists and so forth. Dynamite was doing good. I, I, yeah. I mean, even with all, with all that's happened with the comic book industry lately, the, um, dynamite, dynamite was doing great. Um, the Vampirella was doing great. Red Sonja title was doing great. They have um, Deja Thoris, which is about uh, the world of John Carter. That was doing great. They, I, I remember recommending a James Bond from Dynamite from, that came out in the past. And so to do this, and basically you're, you're forcing him to either change into maybe not so popular titles that are not going to sell or just stop altogether, uh, th- wouldn't that be taking their own jobs away? <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say. I just, I don't think it's fair for a vocal minority to dictate to a corporation what to do with their property. Uh, I don't know what the heck's going on here, or what the end game is really here. 
this is not the first case of this. Right. So um, we'll move past this because it's, you know, there's a lot to talk about. But uh, I know real quickly, I just want to bring up that Peter Semetti from Alterna Comics right up here in New Hampshire. Um, he's great. He's a great guy. He was swatted about a year ago on, on a live stream. He was swatted? Swatted. I didn't know what that was either. I had to look it up. It's just basically someone posed as him and said he'd murdered his girlfriend and he was going to commit suicide. So they sent a SWAT team oh. to bust the doors in yeah. while he was on a live stream. Oh, my God. Uh, and it was, it was apparently these kind of people, these, these cancel culture people that did it to him. Uh, because same thing, because he will not change... He will not compromise the artistic integrity of their books right. to check a box, and uh, and he lets the creators do what they want, and you know someone got upset with that, and that's just not cool. So using our emergency services, who are there for real crime and help people who are really in trouble, and uh, using it for this for total BS personal gain, right? Well, unfortunately, so, swatting has been around for a number of years now, and it's it's it's. <laughs> Yeah, bad. I'd never heard of it. Yeah, I've heard it. Yeah, I it's, hadn't it's, either. It's, it's, it's pretty. It's pretty crazy. It, it, and a lot of times it's just a random thing. It's not somebody that's being singled out to. It's somebody that just they just do it randomly, and all of a sudden, a SWAT team shows up, and then it's like, what the heck is going on here? You know. Good so. God. Yeah. So you know, the comic book industry is in enough trouble, especially with, with you know coming back from COVID and everything. They don't need this this internal crap. Um, so we'll move on. But I just wanted to read this quote from Billy Tucci. Um, a lot of people in Connecticut know Billy. He's always in the local comic shops. He's a really talented artist. And uh, he just said, you'll never find me saying anything bad about anyone in comics, but I will never bend a knee to your cancel culture fascism or attempted gatekeeping. I'm an indie comics creator, and you don't matter enough to ever cancel me. Expect Billy to be canceled tomorrow. <laughs> so, moving on. Um, wow. Lucasfilm. Talk about Lucas schisms, Films. huh? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. By, by the way, I will I will um, put links to the articles about you know the Nick Barucci thing and the Peter Samedi and and now this Lucas thing. Um, Bounding into Comics has some revealed some uh, details about this apparent Lucas cut of Rise of Skywalker that's out there. I've heard about this. I've heard about this. It's absolutely heartbreaking. At what could have been? Yeah. Um, apparently, Matt Smith from Doctor Who was the big bad, and uh, who knew? Right. He's yeah, he was he was cut completely out of it because he was a uh, he was an original character, and basically the the rumor goes that that Bob Iger took one look at this and said nobody's gonna know who the hell this is, so get rid of him and bring in somebody that the audience will know. Yeah, apparently they shot almost forty percent of the movie over again. And apparently, there was uh, the scene where Leia projects Han to try to turn Ben back yep. to the, to the light side. Apparently, not only was it going to be Han, but Leia was going to show up, and then Luke and then shows Luke. up. So we would have had all three of them, all three. All three of them one final time. But uh, that got axed. Well, yes and no, because apparently rumor has it that this Luke, George Lucas took the film and cut his own version and screened it for people. So yeah. will we see this? I didn't realize that George Lucas had any kind of pull anymore over there. Ah, funny you might mention that. Yeah. Funny you might mention <laughs> that because uh, the Lucasfilm rumor du jour today is that... Uh, I have it right here. Oh, you do? Yes. Uh, uh, YouTuber uh, Doomcock, future ruler of Earth, um, has has put up some a very interesting rumor. And a lot of his rumors do tend to be do tend to be right in the long run, so this is an interesting one. Apparently he has a personal friend who works at Lucasfilm who's been siphoning information out, and he's been pretty accurate with everything that so, in the past. So Sounds it. like the White House. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll play this quick so we get a reaction, and then we'll move on. People have asked me, is Kathleen Kennedy finished at Lucasfilm? Is she staying or going? Well, this is what I have been told. One of my agents asked one of our informants, are the rumors about Kathleen Kennedy leaving BS, or is there something to it? The informant replied that no, it is most assuredly not BS. My source then asked the question point blank, is Kathleen Kennedy gone? And the informant replied, yes. Disney and Kathleen Kennedy have come to an arrangement, and Kathleen Kennedy will soon be departing from Lucasville. So. Like, gone so, is it yeah. now? Yeah, the rumor so. is that Kathleen Kennedy is out. 
that apparently, and again, if I have this correct, that she's going to be teaming up with Bat Robot, and frankly, they deserve each other. <laughs> <laughs> and the rumor also goes that it's um, that George is coming back to be in control of Lucasfilm. I'm a what I would call a moderate Star Wars fan, to borderline. Oh, it's okay. This is what I have to say to that. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I never thought I'd say it. Please come back, George. <laughs> I mean, I had heard for a while the rumors about bringing him in just to consult, and I had heard that they brought him in to look at the last Je- the the last Jedi cut to, as a just a, for his a advice. Courtesy, and, right. I didn't I didn't realize any that he had done his own total cut of it either. But those rumors are now been more persistent about him coming back and taking over um, at least part of where they're going to go just to. He's been on become site. more popular again. He's been on site for The Mandalorian. John Favreau and Dave Filoni brought him on set all the time. Oh, okay. So I think that kind of got the ball rolling. Um, and I know he was not happy with the last two movies at all. So hmm. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, John Boyega's out no matter what, I guess. John Boyega's like, who cares? Yeah, he's, he's been very public about yep. He is done with Star Wars. It's a shame. And well, I heard also, if, if it, this, this does go forward with um, George Lucas, that he was talking about bringing some characters from the Star Wars, le- you heard the Star Wars Legends. Where, Star Legends, um, right. You know, it was the, all the novels and the comic books that continued on. Is like, uh, I believe they talked specifically about the character Mara Jade, who was uh, the Emperor's uh, right hand for a while and then was in big conflict with Luke and then wound up actually marrying Luke. But um, so that was one character that, and there, there was a Grand Admiral Thrawn was another character. I thought, I, th- I think they were talking about doing s- some series about those characters. Yeah, they've, they've actually brought Thrawn into uh, Star Wars Rebels. He was a big bad for oh. a while. Yeah, and I think this Moff Gideon is going to get uh, a lot more uh, stuff in the future. I think they want to make him Force aware, so he's like oh, a right. Sith in right. training kind of thing. So, interesting. Hey, you never know. Yeah, I mean. I, hey, you know what? If they're going to course correct, I'm game to, to check it out. But Me too. Moving on to Star Trek The Next Abomination. Oh. Did you watch the Star Trek Lower Decks trailer? I did. I saw the trailer. I don't, I don't understand. I saw this, this great meme. Who are they aiming this for? Like what? I don't understand. There are a ton of Star Trek fans. Maybe not our generation of fans, but there are a ton of them that are very vocal about it, and they have no problems with it at all, actually. But the humor is so it, low rent. It doesn't, it, again, it, it, to us, we may not like it. We may hate it, okay? But if they're making it, and it seems like, at least on Twitter, a lot of people are very inter- interested in seeing it. I haven't seen those. I've seen the, the likes-dislikes proportion on YouTube. Is yeah, really they funny. actually removed the ability to like and dislike it because I'm just t- I'm just telling you what I I'm not talking about YouTube I'm talking about some of the people that I follow on Twitter that are Star Trek sure. fans and they are a few of them are younger than us they're probably in their like 30s whatever they don't like the original show at all and as a matter of fact on Inglorious Trexperts they were they were saying you know if you remember like a year or so ago is the original show going to be relevant no, probably not. And that's the whole point. And people in the 90s didn't like watching the original show anymore. There you go. So, you know, we're like the last bastion of fans that still, I think I say, hold on to original canon or whatever. Well, but, I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just oh, telling I you what I've seen on Twitter in terms of, like, people liking Discovery and liking, you know, Picard and liking um, the trailer for Lower Decks because a lot of people are saying, wow, this seems low rent. And they show, like, instances in... <clears throat> Uh, the Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, Enterprise, where it's like, wow, they actually went through with that kind of humor? That's interesting. I'm just telling you what I've seen. I'm yeah. not, I haven't, you know, I saw the trailer once. I'm like, all right, whatever. I don't, if I'm going to watch it, I have no idea. Yeah, I might I, not, you know. But I won't pay for it, I'll give you that. You know, if it's free, I might check it out of curiosity. I, but I saw this, this great meme for Lower Decks. It, show, it shows, the, it's four panels. The first panel shows uh, the ship. Hey, this kind of looks like Star Trek. And the next one shows the hallways. You know, this, this really does kind of look like Star Trek. That's, th- this isn't so bad. Then the third panel shows the bridge. Are you sure this is Alex Kurtzman? 
and the the fourth panel shows one of the ensigns holding somebody's heart in his yeah, hand. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, there it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, Edson. What do you think? I mean, I didn't like what I saw, but and and I'm not the. I know, I know what you're saying, Angela. That some of us like the original more, yeah. but I'm not the type that just says I'm holding on to the original and next generation and. Deep Space Nine, I think that's all I'm going to like. I'm willing to sure, try new, sure. new shows, and I just didn't like anything about it. But like you said, it's, it's, people have different opinions. For me, if that's the best they've got, they're in trouble. You know, when you make a teaser trailer like that, it's supposed to blow you away. I was like, okay. I certainly like the idea. Yeah, the, I don't have a problem with the concept. The, the, the concept is really good. It, it definitely is. It's, it's a unique way of looking at it. Especially, you know, that was one of the better episodes of Next Gen. That was a great Yeah, episode. the Lower Decks. Lower, lower yeah. decks. Yeah. I'm just not certain if, if Rick and Morty is really the kind of angle that you should be going at it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the end game I, is. I because know. if you do attract a new audience with it, and then they try to go on to the, sh the shows, and they realize it's not goofy, pratfall, cartoony, what happens next? I, I, I just I don't get where it fits. It, I don't know. But animated series, we got a Star Wars one apparently coming up too. The Bad Batch. The Bad Batch. The Bad Batch is a is a group of clone troopers. This was from. Uh, this is a, a, sp a spinoff of uh, Star Wars: The Clone Wars TV series. Basically, they're a bunch of misfit clones that all have desirable traits. Like one of them is really super smart. One of them is really good with computers. One of them's really strong so basically it, they're 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 useful misfits the clone goonies the clone goonies yes <laughs> so basically okay. you know so they're they're they had a uh, storyline in the last season of clone wars and i guess they proved to be so popular and with animation being the easiest way to get content out now you know right you know because people can animate from their homes mm-hmm this kind of seems like a nice logical way to go the with Star it. Star Wars cartoons have been very successful, so they'll probably have another hit. Anybody have anything else? we got a few minutes left. Robin Williams. Robin uh, Williams. You know, remembering Robin Williams today would have been his, I think they said it was 69th birthday. 69th oh, birthday. man. Yeah, so. Wow. That was a, that, that one hurt. Yep. That one hurt. <laughs> and uh, today being July 21st, you're going to hear this on the 24th, but uh, rest in peace, Robin Williams. Yeah. And, uh, on our way out, real quick, just has anybody watched BreeTube yet? Uh, I I can say that I have not, and I probably will not. No, no, no. no. I just I, I just know that YouTubers who spent three to five years uh, working on getting verified, partnered, and monetized watched her get that in 24 hours, and that's not fair. So you know, she uh, goes on there and pretends to be an average YouTuber, but she's got like a multicam switch and like. I'm just curious as to what do you guys think is is the reason why she's doing it. Is it because she can't, she can't do movies right now and wants to be more relevant? Is she trying to get be more, become more popular because there's people been criticizing her? I, what is the, because no one's gonna believe that she's a regular person. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what her end game is. Um, I, I think she's trying to fix her reputation a little bit maybe because everyone oh. knows that she's very unlikable and caustic. I don't know. But she, she, she obviously got a, a big following from her Captain Marvel movie. I mean, I don't think she needs to do this type of stuff. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Well, we'll have to wait and see how that washes out. So, all right, well, let's take a little break, stretch our legs, and come back with uh, another topic. <laughs> Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to Forgotten Cinema's 30-second ad. Forgotten Cinema is a podcast where we talk about films that, for a variety of reasons, seem to have been forgotten by audiences. We talk notes about production and release, why we believe these films were forgotten, and whether or not we think they're worth a revisit. Forgotten Cinema is available wherever you listen to your podcast and on ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com. So grab your popcorn and soda. Please notice exits are available at the front and rear of the auditorium. And be sure to check out 
Forgotten cinema. It was the three-legged dog of comics. It was bad. These two gentlemen met in jail, and then when they got out, they started publishing. It should have been mobsters instead of doing what they're doing in comics. Management there was questionable at times. Some of it has to do with people who go to jail. We are sinners. We have corrupted the youth. Stuff that should never have been sold to kids. And then there was Charlton. I couldn't quite tell what they were doing. Charlton was just a hodgepodge of weird titles. What is this? Who am I dealing with? John threw nickels around like they were manhole. Covers. C-A-T-A-P. They were cheap. Hell yes, they're cheap. They were a special kind of special is what they were. Pretty was horrible. You could smell them beginning to decay even as they were rolling off the press. At one point, they actually did have to move the comics operation into a bowling alley. It's something out of a sitcom. We want to publish comic books in the worst way, and they did. It's been called the street fighting cousin of Marvel and DC. Maybe you've heard of them. Probably not. But you do know the industry legends that called it home. This is Charlton Comics. Follow at charltonmovie.com. Oh, it's gonna suck. We're still in the psycho circus. <laughs> no one leaves until the show is done. All right. Uh, I want to thank some of our other podcasting friends that are out there. Uh, mainly, I gotta, I gotta really give a shout out to John Amenta over at Pinta Comics. That dude is a godsend. He is promoting us left, right, center, night, day. He's uh, responsible for our my, uh, mostly our entire Twitter following at this point. He's just an amazing guy. We love you, John. So Pine of Comics goes to the Stratosphere 430 movie in Glorious Trexperts, Best Movies Never Made, and our new friends over at Forgotten Cinema. So uh, thank you, guys. Um, remember, again, to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and now Instagram that Jude is going to take care of. Right, Jude? Woo! Yep, there he is. All right. Pizza pop culture at all of those. So, guys, um, this is a topic that can go in 80 different directions, and we can talk about it for a week straight. Movies and books and the intermingling therein. So um, yeah. I think for, for our kickoff segment, you know, we'll revisit this a lot, I'm sure. How about Angelo's got a nice list over there? of successful or historic movies um, throughout the years that were based on novels. Yeah, um, you know, when we talked about doing this topic a week or so ago, I decided to go on, you know, memory and online and books and, and go back and right at the turn of, you know, cinematic history when we went from the silent era to, you know, the talkies, you know, Dracula and Frankenstein, you know, right. Bram Stoker and, and Mary Shelley, you know, two literary, you know, uh, giants in terms of their, you know, success, turned into films. Right. And, and still to this day, these, both of them are, you know, considered two of the classics, not even just from that era, just, you know, standing the test of time and, and, uh, and still work. And, you know, another film, you know, a few years later that is in the news as of late is Gone with the Wind. And it was revised the same year because they were both, you know, color films and they were, you know, monster hits, both literary works. And, you know, you know, uh, books and movies, like Keith said at the beginning of this segment, just go hand in hand since, you know, for the last hundred years or so. You know, your Universal Monsters uh, are great. You left one out and Pete, being a big H.G. Wells fan, is probably... Uh. The War of the World. Well, no, I was going Invisible Man first. Oh, oh yes, yes. The Invisible <laughs> yeah. Man. That's right. And the Invisible Man. That's yeah. right. Universal Monsters. Well, but... you know where, where my brain goes when you say H.G. Wells? It automatically goes for the War of the Worlds. Right, right. Yeah, but that's, again, right. Yeah. Uh, Edson, how about some successful movies you can think of that started as books? Well, the first one that popped up to, in my head was uh, The Exorcist, because I actually read, read the book, and then I went to see... Yeah, first I read the book, and then I went to see the movie, and they complement each other so well. Uh, it was very, very faithfully adapted, and um, just knowing what what was going on, and then actually seeing it come at you—the screams, the howls—it <laughs> it, 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 the movie actually enhanced, you know, having read the book. Right, right. You, getting back to you over there, Angela. I remember. Thanks for bringing it up. In in high school, sophomore year. Um, it was, I think it was astronomy class. Somebody behind me was reading The Exorcist, and they had to put the book down. And I'm like, and I hadn't read the book or anything. I just I picked up what's, what's going on here. And, and they showed me this segment of the book that they were reading, which was very, very graphic. And then my jaw hit the ground. And then our teacher, I 
forget his name, but he came over and picked the book up and then looked at the passage and put the book down and walked back to the center. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's oh, my God, what in the world just happened there, you know? So, yeah. I, that's, uh, you know, from the book, too. I don't think that was actually even... I think it was a very small segment in the film because obviously you're going to have to leave certain things out. Sure. Even they left a lot of things in the film, um, but that particular segment of the book was taken out and of the film, I should say, or probably not even filmed at all. But uh, I just remember that from memory from sophomore class of astronomy. You know, so. It's not easy to take a book that could be anywhere between three and a thousand pages sometimes and adapt it into a two to two and a half hour movie. Right. right. You know, uh, I think one of the, and you're a fan of this, uh, this book, Dune, is very problematic for that reason. Yes. So you've got this this big, you know. Yeah, I've read Dune a, a number of times over the years, and I remember reading uh, Frank Herbert saying, "You can read this book as you know as a love story, as an adventure story, as a political story." He's written it in, in so many layers, and right to turn it into a film. David Lynch, in, in a recent interview, said it was the worst experience he ever had making a movie. He hates the film. I happen to like the film. I have no problems with the movie at all. They did a uh, miniseries on TV, which was really good. And now Denny Villeneuve is doing an, his adaptation, which is going to be, I think, two films. So yeah. I'm excited to see that. And, which and was, I thought was a great uh, decision right off the bat. Yeah, yeah exactly. And he's a, he's a fantastic director, and I've, I've loved his previous work. So I'm excited to see what he's going to bring, you know, his vision of this book to, you know, to a major motion picture. So. Yeah, that excited me, knowing it was him, and I've liked his previous works, plus the fact that they decided right away he knew he was going to stop halfway and make it into two movies. Because of the problematic uh, issue that you just brought up, it's such a thick book. It's, There's yeah. a lot going yeah. on. Yeah. So many layers in that book. It's, it's an incredible book. I've read it probably about six or seven times before the audio came out, and then listened to it about a dozen more times. I'm, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I want to ask you guys, do you think, you know, in the past they tried to cram a book like that into one movie? And since Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, where he actually got New Line to cave and let him make a trilogy, the previous adaptation of Lord of the Rings was, again, it was an animated movie, and they tried to cram the whole thing into one thing, one, one release. And do you, you think that you might do... have been the one that started this idea that those, like the Harry Potter last book got split? And... Well, then you do the reverse. He did three films for The Hobbit, which should have been probably just one. <laughs> right. You know, and I'm like, yeah. right. what's this all about? You know, That so. was the studio going, ooh, let's get more money. Let's yeah, do that, that was, again. That was all a studio yeah. decision. And, and for, to be fair, for Lord of the Rings, it, Lord of the Rings is three different books. True. Right. So right. he did make one movie, but and I like the fact that he made a an extra length long movie that would each each of them were extra long sure. just to cover all not all of them cover as much material as possible, but it was three different books. So I mean, but but do you think that that was the the jumping off point where the the studios mm -hmm. he he made that work and the studios were able to say okay let's let some of these things, these novels breathe trying to cinematically let's was, let them, yeah. you know I don't think they would. Because of that success, I don't think Dune would have been two movies prior to 2001. The, yeah. the year, not no, the you're, movie. You're probably right. right. You're probably right. I mean, because it was such just, they were just monster hits. And, and they, they, they were smart enough to let him do what he wanted. And, yeah, I, I, I think that that's probably where you got the, the idea of splitting, like, Twilight, The Hunger Games. You Harry got, Potter. Ha Harry Potter. You got you're splitting them into, into multiple movies so you can actually let the let the story breathe. Right, right. You know, because they're so dense. And, and, and they, I think what else, The Lord of the Rings also proved that the audience really does have the attention span to sit there for three and a half hours. You're right, Keith, because they released the extended cuts, you know, also on DVD and Blu-ray and in the theaters, and they did financially well yeah. both, you yeah. know, in the theaters and at home. So, like you said, people are, you know, if, if you release it, they'll probably come, you know. If the material is handled right, if it's done right. well. Yeah. I mean, you could put out a four-hour um, piece of garbage, right? And and garbage is garbage. You can't polish a turd, right? Right. So I still remember we were watching at the theaters. We went to see the third one, Return of the King, and it was over three hours long. And at one point, you said this this movie isn't even letting us come up for air. Right. <laughs> it was just <laughs> going on and on from action scene action, and it was so good, and it just wasn't stopping. Compelling characters, compelling dialogue, great situations. Do you think they should do, you know, kind of go back to the old cinema style, though? And if they're going to take something that long and put an intermission in the middle and give the audience a chance to stretch and take a, take a break? Wow, I hadn't thought about I that. I had not thought about that. I'm not sure if an audience nowadays could actually handle that. Although, then again, my bladder certainly could have used it during Endgame. 
if they had had an intermission Agreed. in that, that would have been that that that, that would have been very handy. Actually, I had no problems with it. the length of the film. I mean, we went to see uh, the Hateful Eight, which right. had an intermission, right? But it didn't do as well as they had hoped it, it it did, you know. And that's maybe that was like the you know, maybe some studios said, yeah, maybe that's not something that we you know we should release. Maybe they should release like some of the older films, like Lawrence of Arabia, which had intermissions and see if, if, if those kinds of films garner more people coming out to the theater to see something of that length, right. then maybe they, you know, they could do something new with it. Right. You know? I don't know. I just watched my Blu-ray of 2001 a couple of weeks ago, and that's got an intermission built in. It's <laughs> right. intermission, right. Right, five minutes. In the... Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's weird to have an intermission on a Blu-ray. Because you can pause it at any time and go to that. <laughs> the sound of music does. The sound of music has does the it? overture. It has the intermission. So does the Lawrence of Arabia. All those older films. Yeah, oh, they nice. kept all that stuff in there. Nice. Yeah. I didn't well, know that. Well, the classic Monty Python and the Holy Grail had an intermission, and that's right. but it was at the climax. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it was really placed wrong. Now that was not based on a novel. Involved. No. Yeah. But so um, I, I agree. With, I mean, I I, don't, I agree with Angela. I I don't mind the the length of it, but for the sake of maybe my daughter. Um, Sometimes she just has to go to the bathroom and doesn't want to miss the movie. Right, uh, so right. it would have been nice for her. <laughs> right. So what are some other, you know, classic, you know, AFI top 100 style movies that were adapted from books? So the 70s, there was a plethora of, of films that were released in the 70s that were based on books. You had Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm -hmm. The Godfather. Ooh, yeah. Edson mentioned The Exorcist a little while ago. We keep forgetting about Jaws. You know, one of the biggest films of all time, and the and the book too also was a little bit different. Right. The end. The ending was much different. The ending was different, and also, I, I if memory serves, I think uh, Hooper had an affair with um, yes, with he Brody's does. wife, right? That's right. So you're not, Steve, you know, they're not going to put that into it into a movie. No way. Right. You know? Right. And also, one of my favorite films, probably my my favorite animated film of all time, which was a book first, and then turned into a film, was Watership Down. I knew you were going to say that. So you know, the '70s had a lot of great, you know, and then. Stephen King, what, Carrie? Carrie. Was yep. his first book and also first uh, movie. Movie, movie well, adaptation, right? I yeah. believe, yeah. So, yeah. That, yeah. Was, that was a good uh, One good of the movie. few Stephen King books that was adapted well, I think. Firestarter was pretty good. My favorite uh, is probably still The Dead Zone because Christopher Walken is right. just. The Dead spot Zone on. was uh, right on mark. And you can't give him credit for The Shining because apparently that was completely different. And he didn't like the. The, the, out, movie. the movie, right? Well, yeah. right. So, you know, but different. Has anybody here read Different Seasons? It's a novella of short stories of Stephen yeah. King's. So Heston's read it. So four of the short stories, there are four short stories. Three of them were turned into movies. Right, right. Shawshank Redemption, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Apt Pupil, uh, I think oh. Brian Singer directed that, okay. and then Stand by Me. Right, Stand by Me was a short story, I and that was part that. of the book. Now, there's I, I forget the other the other short story, but I guess that was that is also in works to be made into a. I'm not sure if it's a TV film or an, or a film, you know, in the theaters, but uh, but that's also going to be adapted as well. So, what was the one the one with the Green Goblin on the truck? Was that him? I don't know if that was an original Maximum Overdrive. Yes, yeah. Was that him? That's that Stephen, Stephen King. King? Yeah. Stephen King. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he had that thing in the '80s with the vehicles. He had Christine, right? And then that, and it was like, what's with the possessed vehicle thing? One of my favorite horror movies that was adapted from a book is Robert Block's Psycho. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. and, and you know, I mean, come on, I mean, Norman Bates on screen, uh, legendary. The book, not so much. He a completely different character in the book. Right, right. You know, a lot, it was a lot more, I think it was based on that. Uh, Ed Gein. Ed Gein, yeah. right, right. Yeah. You can go, I mean, we could sit here all day and just rattle off titles, but it's it's some of the more memorable films that were adapted into from books. And you brought up earlier off mic, uh, Rum Punch. Yeah, um, so you hear people talk about, well, you read the book, it's a lot better than the movie, or vice versa, or whatever. But Tarantino had taken, you know, I guess right after Pulp Fiction, he'd, he'd purchased a, uh, a bunch of, uh, he bought the rights to a bunch of Elmore Leonard novels, and one of them was Run Punch. He decided to make that his next film, but he changed it to uh, Jackie Brown, because in Run Punch, the, the female character's name is Jackie Burke, and she's white, and he turned her, he wanted, he wanted a vehicle for Pam Greer, because he always loved her, you know, from the 70s, and it worked. Yeah. Not only did it work, it worked phenomenal, you know, and I had no idea that he had done that, because I'd never read Run Punch, I had no idea, so. Right. Elmer Leonard, um, I saw an interview with him at that time, and he said that you know he loved the adaptation. Quentin bought the rights; he can do whatever he wants, and he he was faithful not only to the story but 
He changed it, and it worked tremendously. It is rare for Tarantino. That's the only time he's ever done that. He writes right. his own stuff. Exactly. So for yeah. him to adapt a, a previous work is really, really rare. Yeah. He should do it more often. Here's a little, I don't know if you've heard this story or not, but when Pam Greer was coming to, uh, to meet with him about doing the film, uh, she came into his office, and he had all these posters of, of her old movies on the wall. Yeah. And she said, did you put these up today? Because I was coming in. And he goes, no, I spent the day arguing myself whether I should take them down because you were coming <laughs> in. <laughs> he actually ran, I, I, read, I, I heard a story. He ran into her at a convention because she was promoting, she was in Mars Attacks. Yes. And Quentin's like, you know, you, I got a movie for you. And he goes, he goes, I'll send it to you. Read the character of Jackie Brown. And he didn't say anything else. And she's like, all right, whatever, you know. He also made her pay for the postage when it came <laughs> as a joke, right? That's awesome. So she opens up the envelope, and, and she's gonna, she wants to start thumbing through to see where Jackie Brown is in the script, and then she notices right on the front cover it says Jackie Brown, and she was immediately floored. Oh, that's awesome. And, the, you, know, you know, like I said, the movie is, is great. She had that little renaissance in 96, yes. 97, yeah. you know? I, I love Pam Greer. Yeah. I think, you know, she's so good in that movie. Yeah. Elmore Leonard, too. Uh, the stuff I've seen of his that's been adapted, Get Shorty, is great. And the, the, the TV series Justified was adapted from Elmore Leonard. And yes. He was actually on set as a consultant through that oh, for nice. a couple seasons. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Great show. Yeah, yeah. Who are some other authors that you like, Pete? Well, we brought up H.G. Wells and The War of the Worlds, which I still think, to my personal opinion, nobody's gotten it right yet. No. No, no. It's, it, it's, it's been... The, the modernizations are okay, but it kind of it, it it really loses something when it's not a period piece. Did you like uh, Orson Welles' Wells, uh, oh, adaptation? It, oh of no! The, don't the get radio? me wrong; they're brilliant. Yeah. they're just not the book. Right. <laughs> uh, the BBC is supposedly doing a, a series that's coming out. I think. Uh, I think it's already out, Pete. Oh, is it? I think it's already. I out. don't. Yeah. Has it has it come overseas yet? I think it has actually. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, because because th that one is a period piece, right? And, and I think it actually takes place in the time the book was actually yeah, written. So. Uh, eight, well, you know, yeah, eighteen ninety eight. The one of the other uh, my favorite books, but a horrible movie was World War Z, which was a uh, it was kind of like an after the fact uh, telling about different different accounts during the Great Zombie Epidemic in the book by Max Brooks. And unfortunately, the movie was turned into something completely different. It was turned into just kind of like a random zombie movie that was happening as the movie was happening, if that makes any kind of sense. And it, it, it's a passable movie, but read, read the book. Or even better yet, get the audio book. Because you've got the likes of like Martin Scorsese in it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Terry Ryan, Mark Hamill, both of the, uh, the Reiners, Carl and Rob, are both in oh. this thing. Uh, Alan Alda. All play parts. So if you can find the audiobook of World War Z, you're really in for a treat. And you can also bring up movies that you didn't necessarily think were books, like uh, like like Die Hard and Rambo were both books. First Blood, yeah. First Blood was yeah. was a book. Die Hard is actually it, that's a sequel. A sequel. It's a sequel. Yeah, there was there was a, a book before that, and actually uh, the first person to play John Mc, John McClane was um, uh, Frank Sinatra. Wow. Okay. Yeah, and he was even offered Die Hard, you know, out, out of out of uh, you know the courtesy of the contract, and he said, "No, no, no, that, 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 that's okay. He's too old for this." Yeah, I mean, we can, we can go on and on about this, and we will have to talk about down the road successful adaptations, you know, butchered apps, adaptations, um, and then in another one, I know you'll be into uh, comic books that were turned into features right. that were not superheroes. Right. Yeah, everyone knows the superhero, and that's an easy one. That's you know. But, uh, you know, some movies that you probably love and didn't even realize that they were a graphic novel or something. Uh, real quick, Pete, The War of the Worlds BBC um, is, is out and did its run oh, in 2019. But you're right. I don't see any U.S. distribution yet. It's BBC One. Aha. Uh -huh. Yeah. So I'll have to, have to scour the interwebs. Yes. But uh, this topic we will have to revisit again. Oh, yeah. So let's take a break and come back with our Spin the Wheel segment.
from the galactic depths of the comic book universe comes the ghosts of the stratosphere, ready to galvanize and energize your mind with the latest of comic book news and reviews and Yes, that's much better. Hi, this is Andy Larson for Ghosts of the Stratosphere. Join me every week along with my co-hosts Rob Stewart and Chad Smith as well as a cavalcade of fantastic comic book guests as we dish out heaping helpings of the greatest and latest of comic book news and reviews. You can find us under Ghosts of the Stratosphere as well as on our website www.gotstratosphere.com. Hope to see you soon, folks. Hi there, this is the Manster, one of your humble hosts from Pine of Comics Podcast. What is Pine of Comics, you say? Fair question. Pine of Comics is a weekly pop culture podcast with a mission. A mission to explore humankind's greater geekdom and report our findings back to you listeners every week. We explore movies, games, TV shows, comics, local events and conventions, and so much more. We'll tell you just what we think of all the stuff that makes life fun, or at least bearable, and hopefully make you laugh, chortle, cackle, bust a gut, or even just chuckle while doing it. So join me and my fellow hosts, Ganache and Sir John, every week. You'll find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or whatever podcatching app you like to stuff inside that little phone of yours. Listen in. We are still in the Psycho Circus. No one leaves until the show is done. Got it? Got yes. it? Yes, sir. It? All right. Um, real quick, again, I want to thank all our podcasting friends. Uh, I want to tell you to go to our social media. I want to tell you to subscribe, but I'm going to jump right past that. I want to thank Angelo for the space and Eastside Pizza. You guys have to come down and eat at Eastside Pizza because there's something in the sauce. And I've known Angelo for 38 years now, and he won't tell me what's in the sauce. Even when I used to work there, I couldn't go near the sauce when it was being made. I had to stay in the front. What are you putting in there, Angelo? Love. Crack? No. <laughs> I, I don't care. It tastes great. So. It does. It tastes great, and it's less filling. So thank you, It's Angelo. all the Soylent Green. <laughs> <laughs> so Alan, uh, who is not here, absent Alan, came up with a, a new segment for us to try out called Spin the Veal. So I'm going to little spin the veal here. And we're going to pick a year. That's great. The year would be 1994. Yay! 1994. Thank you, producer Jude, for that. That's going to be your new gimmick on this show, you realize. Um, so we have movies and TV shows that came out in 1994. So um, I, have, I have the top grossing films in front of me, but does anybody want to start firing out some titles that you remember from the year 1994? Whoops, 1994? Yeah, I mean, uh, two films stand out in memory, um, Speed and Pulp Fiction. Speed is probably still the, my, uh, the best sneak preview I ever went to go See, we went to go see it as a double feature. Speed was uh, came in second, and then we're you know after the I can't even remember the first film. So you know, Speed came, you know came on. And I'm like, you know, we knew Keanu Reeves was in it, we knew Dennis Hopper was in it, and Sandra Bullock was an up and coming star at that point. And I you know so we're just like, wow, what in the world are we watching here? This movie is out Die of Hard control. on a bus. Die Hard on a bus, you know, and it worked great, you know. So was that Jan de Bont's directorial debut? I believe it was. He was he John was, McTiernan's DP for years. Right, right, yeah. right, yeah. And um, I think he did Twister yeah. after that and a couple other films, and I don't, you know, after that. I think Twister know. was his doom. I, I love Twister because it's so bad. It's great, but. <laughs> it's, a fun, it's a fun film. It's, it's nothing. Fun. It's just, you know, just sit down and have a good time. That's I, just, basically, I can't believe Philip Seymour Hoffman's in there. But that was from 1996 or 7. We're on 1994. Yeah. Forrest Gump came out in 19... Forrest Gump. Good call. 1994. Yeah. Anything else? Edson, can you think of a title? Um, Shawshank Redemption. There you go. Shawshank Redemption. We just and then, talked about the... Yeah. And then the movie also didn't do that well at the box office, but... Come Oscar time, it was nominated for a ton of awards. It didn't win, I don't believe, any anything really, but it's to this day, it's still one of those titles that's grown in stature year after year after year after year, you know? Yeah. Um, 
I'm going to leave the, the obvious one to you. Um, but there were a lot of independent movies that came out that year as well. You had Clerks. Kevin Smith uh, popped on the map with Clerks. You had uh, Swimming with Sharks come out that year with Kevin, a little-known Kevin Spacey who was about to become a megastar and now is very problematic. Yes, indeed. It's too bad. Yeah. Uh, talk about a talent. You also had movies like Ed Wood. Fantastic film. Uh, Might be Tim Burton's best movie to this day. Oh, Probably absolutely. is. I really came out of my birthday, I remember. Uh, here's one that I saw, and I was shocked because I didn't remember. I remember going to see it in the theater, but I went to see it with my girlfriend at the time, and I, I could have sworn we went to see it because there was like nothing else good out. We must have been on something because The River Wild um, with Meryl Streep and, and David Strathairn and Kevin Bacon. Have oh, you ever seen that? Yeah, yeah. No. It's, it's a good, it's a fun suspense movie. But I remember we went because we were like, damn, there's nothing else to see. But this, this year is loaded, man. I, yeah. I don't know what we were on. <laughs> <laughs> you also had movies like Naked Gun 33 and a oh. third, The Final Insult. Um, <laughs> and it certainly was. It was. It, it, it missed the mark for me. I, different, the, different people. Too much, yeah. Try the TV series. The Police Squad. Yeah, Police Squad. Oh, that's, that's great. Awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah the, the TV series is absolutely brilliant. It was way ahead of its time. Grumpy Old Men. Uh, there was a Star Trek movie in 1994. Anybody remember? Yeah. yeah. Came out right after uh, All Good Things. Yes. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Star Generations. Trek. Generations. It was also the year Jim Carrey became a megastar with Ace Ventura. And The Mask also came out. Uh, so was, he, yeah, so he had two films that were, films that that were major hits. Yeah. He, became, yeah. he launched in 94. Yeah. You had um, Philadelphia. Great oh, film. That's a great movie. Yeah. You had Schindler's List. Which won Steven Spielberg an Oscar, finally. Yeah. Well, th that was 1993, right, that it came out, but then won the Oscar in 1994? I think it was released at the very oh. end of 93. Oh. Okay. So but it was still show. Okay. Still, yep. Got yeah, it. so Got it, it. it basically okay. counted as 94. Oh, that's good. I love that movie. Yeah, uh, because it's listed here at, oh, on the top 10. Or, I'm sorry, top 20. Yeah, but if, if Schindler's List won the awards, it was probably in 94. Right. Right, okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right, Angel of the Mask. Um, clear and Present Danger. Not yeah. bad. Yeah. yeah. They went on that run of... Um, Jack Ryan. Jack also the, from... The, the novelist there. Um, Tom also Clancy. Tom Clancy, also from Brooks. That's another we, 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 from We could have talked about him as well. Yeah. Right. And Grisham as well. And you know. Michael Crichton. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, we could rattle off titles all day long here, but um, I have the top 20. Um, I was waiting for you to drop the most obvious movie of 1994. The obvious movie, I think, until this day, is still you know considered you know uh, obviously a, a modern that modern day classic is Pulp Fiction. Absolutely. Yeah, I, mean, I think I must have seen that about ten times. And each one of my favorite memories about seeing that movie ten times is every time I went, I brought somebody who had never seen it before, and only <laughs> heard a little bit about it. So it was it was it, it was an experience every single time I went to go see it in the theaters. When I went to see it with you, I think yeah. it was your third or fourth time yeah. at that point. Um, yeah, we went to go see it at the old Cheshire Cinema. Yes, yeah. you remember that. I yeah. must have come with you because I remember this. Not, yeah, you probably did. Uh, yeah, I, I missed that, that. That that was one of my favorite theaters in the area. It was Me you know, too. old Art Deco, 400, yeah. 500 seats, whatever. Yeah, Huge yeah. auditorium. Huge auditorium, yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, the thing with Pulp Fiction is it spawned throughout the 90s so many copycat creep movies. Right, right. Um, that just never had the same nuance. They no, just, no. They all were these Tarantino wannabes, like Suicide Kings and... The only one that got close, I think, was Usual Suspects. It's a very good movie, that, yeah. That, that yeah. one's, you know, but you have, like, Go, and you have a whole bunch of them that were just, like, I want to be the next Tarantino and, and make a creep movie, but it didn't quite work. So, uh, real quick, I'll just run down the top 20. Um, number 20 was Grumpy Old Men. 19, Pulp Fiction. 18 was a movie called Wolf. Well, yeah, with uh, Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh, that's it's right. A very good, it's a very good movie. I yeah. forgot about yeah. that. 17, Star Trek Generation. 16, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. 15, Stargate. Stargate. Wow. Stargate. Oh, yes. 14, Philadelphia. 13, The Client. Another Grisham. Grisham. Yeah. Yep. Grisham novel. Uh, number 12, Schindler's List. Yep. 11, Maverick. Oh, with uh, Mel with Gibson, Mel Gibson, right? Yeah. Yep. Interview with the Vampire, The Vampire Chronicles. Another one from a book. Yeah. 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 Mrs. Doubtfire was number nine. Um, Robin Williams just doing uh, a masterful job as an old woman, man. <laughs> it, it was unbelievable. Uh, number eight, The Mask with Jim Carrey. Number so He had two in the top 20. Yeah, yeah. And he was virtually unknown at that point. Right, he was on television. Right, yeah. 
In uh, living color. Yeah, in right. living color. The guy with the rubber face. Yeah. Fire Marshal Bale. Uh, you had Speed is number seven. Six, Clear and Present Danger. No, this this is shocking to me. Number five, gross, grossing movie of 94, The Flintstones. The live action wow. Flintstones. Wow. wow. Yeah. The one with John Goodman and Rick yep. Moranis. Woo. And, and, and the next one is even more mind-boggling. The number four grossing movie of the year, The Santa Claus. Is that the Tim Allen film? Yeah, Tim okay, Allen. So he must have, you know, carried over his success from Home Improvement, Home Improvement. onto the, right. the big screen, yeah. Number three, uh, one of our favorite Jim Cameron movies, True Lies. Yeah. Oh, James still, Cameron's come on, Jim. We're still waiting for that Blu-ray. Right. Where is it? I know. Where is it? No Blu-ray on that. That was his James Bond movie. Yeah. Uh, number two, Forrest Gump. Very good. And number one was an animated feature, The Lion King. Great movie. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. The Lion yeah. King. Yeah. Never yeah. heard of it. <laughs> oh, well, it's about uh, it's about this guy named Black Panther. Oh, he's a, yeah, okay. No. <laughs> on TV, uh, we had some interesting debuts on TV. Uh, see if you remember some of these. I, I went, the list was huge, and I just tried to parse out some of the top ones. I got them in alphabetical order here. Chicago Hope debuted in 1994. Okay. David E. Kelly. Here's one. I, uh, who remembers the Cosby Mysteries? You know what? Vaguely. I think I can vaguely recall yeah. it. So I, I had no idea, so I had to look up what it was. So apparently Bill Cosby played a retired NYPD criminalist who wins $44 million in the lottery and retires. And then people like keep knocking on his door and saying, will you help us with this case? And, and he comes out of retirement week after week to solve the case because he's so smart. Yeah, I literally, wow. it lasted oh, one season. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. I never even heard of it. I don't remember it at all. It was on NBC. Yeah. The Critic with John Lovitz. Okay. It stinks. Yeah. <laughs> he played Cranky Jay Sherman, uh, who's a film critic with very limited social skills. That guy is fired up. Uh, Dennis Miller Live, HBO. Uh, HBO, oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yep. Yes. Ran for 215 episodes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That was. I remember that was very popular for a while. I think he started to go off the rails at the end, which is why yeah. he's where he is now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ellen, the first Ellen. Okay. Not, not the Ellen Show sitcom. The first Ellen sitcom. So she has a sitcom named Ellen, which went five seasons from '94. Then in 2003, she got the Ellen Show. Right. And now she has the Ellen DeGeneres Show. So she just keeps adding more parts of her name, I guess. Okay. Uh, with each reiteration. Um, here's one that, if if nobody remembers this show, leave right now. You're off the show. ER. Wow. Which okay, one? Yeah, there right. were two. The, 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 the original. The original. The original was a comedy. I keep starring George but, Clooney. Yes, it was George. Yeah, uh, Michael Crichton. Yeah. Ah, yeah. the serious one. Yeah, George and Clooney, Quentin, Eric LaSalle. I think Quentin had a, directed an episode in the first season, right? Tarantino yeah. did direct an episode. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. He did. Um, a lot of people were in that uh, Clooney, to name one. Eric LaSalle from Connecticut here. Anthony Noel, Edwards. Noel Wiley. Yeah. Anthony Edwards, also from yeah. Connecticut. Uh, Juliana Margulies. Um, 94 was the year Fox got the NFL. Wow. Okay. NFL yeah. Sunday. And this is funny, Angelo. The, the cast, James Brown, Terry Bradshaw, Howie Long, and Jimmy Johnson. It's virtually the same cast today. Wow. They just That's replaced incredible. James Brown with Kurt Menefee. Wow. And Brown went over to CBS. Yeah. Isn't that oh, nuts? yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, NFL and Fox, it's been that long. Wow. 26 years now wow. already. Remember when it seemed like they just got it? Jesus. Um, another one that became a uh, legend, Friends on Friends. NBC. Yeah. Launched the careers of Jennifer Aniston. And what was that guy, Matthew? Ma Matthew Perry. Matthew Perry. Perry right? Yeah. David Schwimmer, Courtney Cox was already, she was already working after at that point, you know, but uh, yeah. Yep. Courtney Cox from Masters of the Universe. Oh, that's right. She's in that. And that's Ace right. Ventura, Pet Detective. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, here's one that gets lampooned on SNL all the time, Inside the Actors Studio with James Lipton. That started yeah. in 94. Huh? Wow. Yeah. Wow. Started in 94. Will Ferrell loves to uh, do the James Lipton impression. Here's another one that launched a bunch of teen stars that went to onto some movies like uh, Scream and Go and uh, Party of Five. Okay. So, you know, it's Scott Wolf, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Nev Campbell, Nev Matthew yeah. Fox. Yeah. So that was pretty popular. It lasted, what, five, six years, I'm guessing, right? I don't remember. Um, here's one that Paul, he, I, he didn't show up tonight, but Paul would have loved this one. Space Goes Coast to Coast. Oh. Oh, that's a great show. Premiered on Adult Swim. Adult yep. Swim. 
And one of the animators on that show went on to much fame and fortune. Oh, yeah. His name is Adam Reed. And he made a little show called Frisky Dingo and parlayed that into a very popular late night show called Archer. Oh, Oh. yeah. Um, Another cartoon that came out in 1994 that was hugely popular, Spider-Man, 1994. Yep, with Greg Brady. With Christopher Daniel Barnes, who was Greg Brady in the Brady Bunch movie as Peter Parker. Ed Asner (laughs) was J. Jonah Jameson. Mark Hamill was the Hobgoblin. Hank Azaria was Eddie Brock Venom. And Roscoe Lee Brown was Wilson Fisk. So they had quite the cast on that show. Yeah, I remember when I first watched it and you heard Ed Asner, I was like, hey, Mary Tyler Moore guy. (laughs) (laughs) Jay Jonah and here's one I know Angelo has all these taped he's probably got these on DVD and waiting for the Blu-rays Thunder in Paradise I don't with Hulk Hogan and Chris Lemon oh Oh. (laughs) no do you no shockingly it lasted only one season (laughs) Um, The Tick The Tick came out in 1994 and Mickey Dolenz oh Mickey Dolenz was the sidekick Arthur. We were talking about the monkeys last week. That's why I put it down. So there's a little throwback to last week's show. Um, Tom Green show. Remember that? That was pretty popular. And I was shocked. It only lasted three seasons. I thought it went longer than that. I don't even remember. I remember I was working at uh, Quinnipiac, now university at the time, in uh, 95, 96, into 97. All the kids loved Tom Green show. Man. And they all wanted to be Tom Green. (laughs) <laughs> doing their little prank sketches. Um, I never watched this show, but I know it was hugely popular. Touched by an Angel. That's the yep. Michael Landon show, right? I thought it was, but I didn't see his name on it. Was that the Michael Landon show? No, that was... Oh, Highway to Heaven. Highway is, to Heaven. Is, uh, that's yeah. right. I'm sorry. I just yeah. Touched by an Angel was uh, Della Reese. I think, I think you're, you're right. right. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. I, I just saw it. It lasted... Nine. When I saw it, I knew it was popular. All right. With, you know... A lot of the suburban suburban nights, and uh, it lasted nine seasons. Wow, great! Yeah, and then there was TV Nation. Anybody remember TV Nation? No. Um, nope. Uh, a documentary filmmaker uh, made a movie in 1989 that became a huge theatrical sensation called Roger and Me, and uh, that filmmaker's name would be Michael Moore. Michael Moore. Yeah. So uh, NBC gave him a season uh, for his TV news magazine called TV Nation, and after that season, Fox picked it up for season two. And uh, that's where it ended, because love him or hate him, Michael Moore stirs the pot. Oh, yes, he does. He is controversial. So does anybody remember anything else about that year? That uh, As a matter of fact, I got one here in 1994. Both Yahoo and Amazon were founded. Wow. Amazon? Wow. Amazon was founded in 1994. Well, shut my wow. corn and call me Southern. I had no idea it was that old. Yeah. And also, that was the same year that uh, Kurt Cobain committed suicide. Oh, yeah. Oh, so. yeah. Uh, Babylon 5 started in 1994. That's a, that was a TV show by J. Michael Straczynski, who does a lot of comic books also. Uh, and there was a first, I'm not saying, it was the first show I watched where it was just the beginning to, like he, he had it planned out all five seasons. Like it was never planned to go past five seasons to tell the whole story from beginning to end. Uh, and I know Deep Space Nine kind of did that towards the later seasons as well. But um, it was the first show I saw that actually wasn't looking to get as much money. He just wanted to tell his story. That's great. Do you remember anything special about the year, Angela? (sighs) (laughs) Well, the... They uh, all blur together. The World Cup was um, first first World Cup. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. The Sony PlayStation launched in 94. And and on the sports lines, we had a uh, baseball strike that cost them the World Series that year for the first time since the World Series inception. No World Series. And then hot on the heels of that was an NHL lockout. And I was an intern at the Fox 61 Sports <laughs> Department that year. Boring. <laughs> it really was the, I couldn't have picked a worse time to be an intern in the sports department. Good God. Oh, has anyone ever heard of um, Tanya Harding? Oh, that happened oh, yeah. that year. That's right. Who's well. seen I, Tanya, by the way? That's so, very good. Isn't it great? Yeah, it's great, yeah. The, yeah. the, the fourth wall that. breaking is how <laughs> good was Allison Janney as her mother? I couldn't stop laughing. It was so good. She was really good. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, 1994. Everybody likes Alan's spin the wheel? Should yeah, we absolutely, again? yeah. We'll tell absolutely. Alan. It was awesome. All right, Alan, if you're listening, it was awesome. Spin the wheel, raggedy man. 
So let's go around the room real quick. Recommendations. Angela, this was your idea, so you kick us off. Yeah, I actually heard uh, today that Paramount is releasing on Blu-ray uh, in September, Roman Holiday. Oh. For the first time, um, starring Gregory Peck and Audrey Hepburn. Interesting story, if nobody knows about the film. Dalton Trumbo is the screenwriter, and he was oh. blacklisted in Hollywood at the time. So when he wrote the script and the story, he wasn't credited because he was blacklisted. So they had to, you know, concoct a way where they you know, had some guy pretend that he wrote the script. Interesting. It won the Oscar. This guy accepted it, and Dalton Trumbo was just sitting there going, wait a minute, I wrote it, but he can't do anything about it because he was blacklisted. Uh, some decades later, they, you know, they, they exonerated him, obviously. They gave him the, the Academy Award. They changed it in the, in the Writers Guild uh, that he wrote the script and everything like that. And uh, this is the first time on any kind of uh, physical media the film being released where it's going to be the corrected oh. Um, oh, very nice. during the credits of his name. So, oh, yeah. good. So Roman Holiday. Yeah. That, the movie Trumbo. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Cranston. Brian Cranston. Yeah. Phenomenal. Very good movie. Yeah. yeah. Very good movie. That's yep. good to know. I did not see that. I only yeah. saw that Private Parts was coming out in September. And I can't wait for that, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a surprising hit. Very good Howard movie. Howard Stern was really good in that. And Paul Giamatti <laughs> stole Paul the show stole in that. Betty Thomas is a great director. And it's sad. She just kind of vanished. Yeah. She did a lot of good stuff uh, back then. She did the Brady Punch movie, too, which Very is good, yeah. 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 Edson, what about you? All right, I'm going to forego my usual comic book recommendation. Go what? With, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll save it for next time. I'm disappointed. <laughs> because I didn't get to, to talk about... You were about selling on me in the pre-show. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did the segment on the, the movies from books, and I wanted to bring this up as a recommendation and, and as one that was done really well. The Constant Gardener, which was based on a book by John Le, Le Carre? Le Car John Le Carre, Le Carre. Yeah. yeah. He's known he's known for a lot of spy movies. from yeah. Tinker Tailor Spy, Soldier Spy, yeah, The Russia House, yeah. But this one was a little bit different. It was more about um, this um, phar pharmaceutical company doing illegal experiments in Africa and how the main character, Ralph Fien, how do you pronounce it? Ralph Fiennes? Fiennes. Ralph Fiennes, yeah. Fiennes. yeah. And um, Rachel White's were awesome in this oh, movie. I love that. Uh, and it was very good to the book. I'm sold, um, Rachel Weiss. I'm sold. <laughs> and, it's and a very good movie. I think it yeah. spoke to me because it, it was just very well done, and also it's it's about a subject that goes on and on about big pharma. I just want to read real quick uh, in the afterward in the book afterward, um, the author John Lacard said, "I can tell you this: as my journey through pharmaceutical jungle progressed, I came to realize that by comparison with reality, my story is as tame as a holiday postcard." That really hit me because the story really is hits it hard on, on something that was horrible that was happening. And for him to say that, I, wow. it just hits me. <laughs> wow. So I just wonder. <laughs> That's one of those things, too. And I, I remember when it came out, I saw The Constant Gardener. And I thought, oh, that must be like a chick flick or something. I don't want to watch it. Yeah. They, they probably should have changed the title. Probably, because <laughs> I didn't watch it in the theaters either. I saw Constant Gardener. Why, why, why I, 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 I went to see it in the theaters. Okay. I, I thought it was great. Good. Yeah, well, and I actually saw an interview. That's my mistake. I, I saw an interview recently with John Le Carre, and he's still writing, and, and you know his Good. a lot of his books were turned into films. So yeah, yeah he's yeah. a great writer. Yeah, Pedro, what you got for us? Uh, I am watching a DVD called Bitter Films Volume One by animator Don Hertzfeld. Uh, you can find it at bitterfilms.com. It's got uh, two. It's it's got a number of animated shorts on. I mean, like like wet your pants, funny animated shorts. Uh, one called Rejected, and another one called Billy's Balloon. Rejected is about um, it's a it's a fictional account of of animator Don Hertzfeld submitting these these commercials to the Family Learning Channel and to uh, and and to uh, a food company and basically. They keep he he keeps getting rejected, and the concepts just keep getting weirder and weirder and weirder and weirder. And he's clearly losing his mind every time he gets a, a, a letter that says no. And Billy's balloon is about basically a, a a a homicidal balloon and a small child. And I can't recommend these things enough. They are laugh out loud funny. They are on on YouTube. If you see a banana holding a giant spoon and this, this weird stick figure, you've got the right one. Okay. Okay. How to defend yourself against a man armed with a banana. I remember that. That's a great money pie. Isn't that great? Yeah. 
my, mine is not nearly as exciting as any of yours. Um, you know, I always struggle with what to recommend. And I accidentally was watching something this morning, and it, you ever put it on YouTube, and then it just kind of goes mm -hmm. on its own. It loads yeah. the next thing. Yeah. And it loaded um, the, the series called Pitch Meetings. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen these. Um, this is a guy named Ryan George, and he generally posts content for this uh, for Screen Rant on YouTube, this account for Screen Rant. But he's done his own thing for the most part. I think he should just go off on his own. Um, he came up with this idea where he plays uh, a Hollywood writer who pitches some pretty questionable ideas to a <laughs> producer, also played by him, um, who thinks everything's great. And, and basically what he does is he pitches me movies that are already out. And his pitch, his, his ideas and concepts, he's pointing out the flaws in the film. And it's just, it's a riot. And it's really well done. And he's talking to himself. You know, he shoots it on a green screen. Yeah. And, and it's very, very clever. I, if you can find him, he's done over 100 of them. They're about five or six minutes long each. And they're, they're laugh out loud funny. I showed Pete a couple the oh other day. Oh, my God. Yeah, I've seen some. Absolutely yep. brilliant. They're good. brilliant. They're funny as hell. Nice. Uh, good so, idea. Uh, yeah. So if you can find Pitch Meetings on YouTube uh, by Ryan George, I highly recommend them. They're, they're really funny. All right. We're out of time, as usual. Probably went beyond our time again, as usual. But who cares, right? We're entertaining. Absolutely. I hope. I hope we're entertaining. Yeah. If we're not, please tell us at uh, pizzapopculture at gmail.com. I will take all the slings and arrows for the team. So anyway, um, thank you, everyone. Thank you again to Eastside Pizza and Angelo and George there. Please come down and sample the cuisine if you get a chance, if you're in the Wallingford area. So for Angelo... Edson, Pedro, and myself. And thank you, Jude, over there on the mixing board. Jude! We will see you guys next time. Oh, by the way, you can leave the Psycho Circus. The show's over. They killed the giggler, man. They killed the giggler! They had no business doing that. None. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a